I'm Captain Kirk. Fascinating. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I saw. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, score chickens and things to episode 96 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Jarman. And I'm Steve. We're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. Jarman, hit him with them. Those are the Muppets and Star Trek. Wham! And we do one-to-one reviews in the Muppet Show and Star Trek the Animated Series. And this week we have special Muppet Show guest Carol Channing and animated series episode The Jihad. Carol Channing. (laughs) So, Steve, tell us about this Muppet Show guest star. Well, Carol Channing was an American singer, comedian, and actress. Uh, She had an incredibly distinct voice, which we're referencing, uh, which you're going to hear a lot in this episode. Uh, she was in the original Broadway cast of Hello, Dolly, mm-hmm. and she actually won the Best Actress Tony for that. She won a Golden Globe and got an Oscar nomination for Thoroughly Modern Millie, the film versions. Oh. And she's the recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Tony Award in 95, and she's in the American Theater Hall of Fame. What does our audience know her from? Well, I know her as the White Queen from the 1985 TV miniseries of Alice in Wonderland. Really? Like, that's really what I know her from. And she did her own voice in a 2006 episode of Family Guy. Yeah, and if you're growing up in the 90s, you probably saw her still still on a bunch of TV shows and talk shows. Yeah, just maybe. like guesting on things as herself. Maybe, you know? maybe the early 90s. Yeah, early 90s. Um, but what's she up to this week on the Mobile Show? Well, backstage... Piggy's shoes are too small. Beauregard plays a proficient harmonica, and Carol helps Piggy stretch her shoes out. <laughs> On stage, we get Jeepers Creepers with some scary-eyed whatnots, followed by Carol pretending to be a silent film performer with a lisp. Next, two pink things have big feet, and the male imposes doubled standards on the female. <laughs> True. Following this is Pigs in Space and Veterinarian's Hospital, where they realize they both share the same announcer. That was Coming up, we have the Swedish chef, and he stuffs a shoe with meat. <laughs> uh, up next, a bunch of aristocratic pigs have a party while Carol Channing and Miss Piggy sing about diamonds. Kermit thanks Carol Channing and refuses Piggy's marriage proposals yet again. And that is what we call the Muppet Show. It'll be their ongoing uh, struggle the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Jarman, what did you think of this week's episode with Carol Channing? Uh, well, like I said, I had some knowledge of her before knowing she was in Hello, Dolly and heard recordings of her in her weird voice. But seeing her at, you know, more towards her prime and, you know, maybe in her 40s, that has to be a character she puts on. It's just too. She's so weird. <laughs> she's very weird. Like even her eyeballs are doing strange things. It's like either she's on drugs or it's just a character. It's part of her shtick. Her shtick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. But that being said, that makes her really like a human Muppet herself. Basically, she really kind of is. So it makes for a good host and good episode, I thought. Um, yeah, and I like that she played a I'm character. I'm imagining her stuff. in like Broadway, yeah, and doing those big crazy facial expressions on a huge Broadway stage isn't that jarring because right. the audience is so far away. <laughs> so I could see how that could just become her thing. And she looks like one of the Muppets of an adult human, which is they're always terrifying. Yeah, 
So, um, looks just like one of those Andy Williams Muppets yes. from last week. It's good. <laughs> I'm the thing in barber Uncanny shop. Valley. <laughs> so, uh. But I really liked, I think in the last few hosts, they didn't play the characters and she played that silent film star. So that was kind of fun. At least she did like one character that wasn't her, you know? Um, yeah, true. And I also liked that her and Miss Piggy only had pleasant interactions and it wasn't all about her secretly making fun of Miss Piggy. Like she legit wanted to be her friend and liked her a lot. And I was like, that's kind of yeah, sweet. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't the mean host that often gets played. Yeah. They always make the pig jokes and stuff. And she made one thing about a pig, but it wasn't mean. It was just like, oh, you're like, you're, you're a pig. Um, but yeah, I like that a lot. And I got a lot of regular segments, the Swedish chefs, pigs in space, that scene being bombed by kind of a vet- veterinarian's hospital. Yeah, sort of. exactly. So I don't know. What do you think? I, I think they had a lot in it. I, I agree. Um, she had some issue connecting with the Muppets. I could see that. multiple times where she was like looking down at the performer. You'd see her eyes divert, mm-hmm. um, but she really gave it at all. She brought it big. You're right. She got to do a character, um, which was great. We got to see some interesting interactions and you're right. Like Piggy was gentler in this episode in some ways than normal. Yeah, I could see that. Um, we got a nod to the fact that Frank Oz can't sing that high. That was great. <laughs> no man can. We went, yeah, went for the low one. That was funny. Um, but now overall, good episode, right? Some some good standard bits, decent backstage plot. It has all the tenets of a good episode. I think Channing was maybe a little bit of a miss, but even she did better than a lot of hosts. Yeah, that's why I think it's more upper middle episode for me because for this whole season, yeah. it was overall fun and. Even though she wasn't connecting as well, she was a Muppet herself. So it kind of yeah, worked. She, yeah, she fit in. Yeah, She knew exactly. what she was there for. <laughs> uh, well, music this week, Jeepers Creepers. Uh, this was nominated for the Oscar for Best Original Song in 1938, but lost to Thanks for the Memories. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I like you very much. Made popular by <laughs> Carmen Miranda. Uh, I had to, I read this thing. It was crazy. So she was recuperating from a bronchial issue. She did the Jimmy Durante show. She completed a full dance number for the variety show and then nearly collapsed. She kept going, did all of her remaining parts, even though they offered for her to go home. Her and Jimmy Durant did an impromptu performance for cast and crew after this happened. She then invited a small party worth of people to her place, partied until 3 a.m., took off her makeup and died of a heart attack. This is Car Miranda? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> she just, oh man, she just pushed too hard. Yeah, there's um, probably some cocaine involved, too. <laughs> uh, Your Feet's Too Big by Fisher and Benson. Uh, this was used as a theme song for Harry and the Hendersons, the TV series. Oh. And I learned that that exists. Wow. I did not know that. Basically, I think they're like, we have this big, expensive puppet from the movie. How do we get more money out of it? <laughs> Make a crappy TV show. And that's how the Ewok movies happen. Oh, there you go. Um, Wave by Antonio Carlos Jobim, a Portuguese uh, songwriter. Uh, it was made famous in the, in 1970 by uh, being featured on one of Sinatra's albums, Sinatra and Friends. Hmm. But it was like a, a random Portuguese language song until that point. <laughs> uh, Diamonds are a best friend introduced on Broadway by Carol herself. Really? In the 1949 production of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. And the uh, film adaptation, AFI declared the 12th best film song of the century. Wow, because Marilyn Monroe is so famous for doing it, too. Yeah. So, bam. Bam. 
So, Steve, what is your favorite Muppeteering moment for the episode? Oh, man. So the pig who walks in to get his shoe back from the Swedish chef and then has to <laughs> mind putting on a shoe for a leg that doesn't exist mm. and then limping away as if their foot is in a shoe full of meat for a leg that once again doesn't exist. <laughs> That's true. I'm going to give it to that performer. That is pretty great because I didn't even think about that being the case. But you're right. There's no foot there. <laughs> Um, I gave it to your feet's too big number. I think it was really cool for those who haven't seen the episode. It's the first time I think ever that we've seen Muppets or puppets rather with just with actual human feet sticking out. So there was an actor's actual human feet being used for these two puppets. And that was pretty impressive. They had like makeup or hair on them and stuff like that. And like All feathers. Right. So you and I are about to have contention. Oh, because I normally don't badmouth the Muppets. Ooh. But I have a worst for the for like the second time ever, <laughs> like a worst monetary moment. And it is that your feet too big bird number. Really? Yeah. Not the, the female who just had to sit there and laugh. That was a great effect. And you're right. The effect was very good and clever. The issue is, is the male who did all of the singing mm-hmm. because of I couldn't figure out how they had the puppeteer situated because the feet were there. So either the puppeteer was the one doing the feet and had to bend down and put their hand in front of them. Um, or they were split, split legged and another performer was between their legs. Right. Those are the two possibilities, but whatever, that was some of the worst puppeteering and just absolutely no match mouth movement. Oh, that's a good that point. We have maybe seen on the entire show. And if you watch it again, the bird's head was kind of tipped down the whole time. Yeah, I guess I was more focused on the female bird. I didn't really notice him as much. That's that's a good but, point, though. But I I have one other time, I think, given like an anti-recommend for one of these episodes, <laughs> and th- that was one of them. Because I was like, that was just so badly done. Well, I'm so glad my favorite Muppetry moment could be your worst. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'm glad we the one thing we found contention on was the one time I did it. I guess I was going for the creativity of the idea of having the real feet. Because we see like the real hand great with, effect. with the chef. Great effect, yeah. without a doubt. But bad puppeteering itself. I bad puppeteering, saying. great effect. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, so, Jarman, what happened on this week's episode of Star Trek, the animated series? This week, it's called the Jihad, or I think it's just Jihad. Um, we have the Enterprise being summoned secretly to a asteroid, which is uh, run by the Vidalans, which we'll learn about later. They're apparently a species in the galaxy that have had warp drive the longest. And Spock and Kirk were specifically asked there by the Vidalans, so they beam down and find themselves among several other of different alien races with different abilities. Apparently, the Vidalans summoned them all there because of their unique skill sets, because they need them to locate and take back the soul of the score. It's an ancient relic that holds the thoughts and memories of the ancient uh, holy leader of the score, a race of bipedal bird people that long ago were huge warmongers, but that religious leader made them all peaceful many, many years ago. But now that relic is stolen and the race is going back to their warmongering ways and threatening to take their revenge on the whole galaxy. And they might be able to do it because they multiply super quickly and they could have an army of billions in no time. Um, and one of their leaders is there to help. He wants to stop this named T'Char. And along with Kirk, brought there because of his leadership, Spock for his scientific knowledge, a green worm guy because he can pick any lock apparently, a human hunter named Laura or Lara for her tracking abilities, with really big eyebrows, and Sword, uh, a reptilian guy, he's the muscle, basically, the, t- the tank. Um, and they, So they go and they track this relic to an unstable planet that's nearby, and this place has flying robot attack birds, 
exploding volcanoes, snowstorms, you, you name it. And once on the planet, they use all their unique abilities to finally track down the relic to a temple. Um, and the green guy cracks the lock in the front door. Uh, but then T'Char, the score guy, is taken away by one of the flying sentries. And it turns out this was all a trap. And T'Char was behind stealing the relic all along because he wants his people to become warriors again and take over the galaxy. Um, and Kirk and Spock are able to subdue him. And they beam, they all beam out with the relic and give it to the Vidalan people. And the Vidalan says that T'Char is a good guy and all, but just went insane. So they'll fix him and return him to his people. <laughs> Brushed under the rug. Uh, the Vidalans return them to the Enterprise, which is telling them that they will soon forget about this whole mission. And once they're back, the crew tells them that they had only been gone for a couple of minutes because of magic. So Ooh, that was magic. the episode Jihad. Steve, what'd you think of that one? Okay. So this... This is a great episode. I feel like I'm getting <laughs> spoiled because we have just literally had my two favorite episodes basically back to back. I think oh. back to back. Night of the season. Um, yeah. Nice. Uh, so I wrote. So, oh my god, another island of misfit aliens. I love it. <laughs> Shebarian with antlers for eyebrows. Yes. Frogman and lizard man. You never get both. And then I realized Frogman <laughs> was Bug Caterpillar Man, and it got better. A a lanky armed cat weasel. A missing soul mystery? <laughs> How did the six of them get there in a four-seat ve- vehicle? <laughs> in a little dune why buggy. Is this epi- why is this episode the Super Friends? <laughs> really a volcano was. eruption? A snowstorm. Why wasn't Spock wearing a seatbelt? He's better than that. <laughs> Caught in a blizzard and a bug man refusing to be carried <laughs> and then being carried against his will? More of those purple dragon things that we've seen in four episodes. <laughs> yep. A Goonies-like scenario where they realize that no one has made it this far before. How can the lizard man not climb? <laughs> A double cross from Big Bird's scary cousin. <laughs> Zero. Okay, so this one blew my mind, and I'm very happy that I caught this one. So they make a reference to Zero-G combat training. Right. Where... Kirk's like, Spock, how's your null-G combat training? Good, Karen. Or I just completed the course, whatever. And then later in uh, Star Trek um, First Contact, there's a scene where Picard's like, do you remember your, uh, Wolf, do you remember your null-G combat training? I remember it made me sick to my stomach, Captain. You remember like, that? I, I remember this, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's is that a reference I just caught? Like a deep reference? It I just very caught? well might be." Um, so I felt really good about that, and I feel like, man, I've reached a level of nerd with Star Trek stuff that I never thought I was going to be. Apparently, <laughs> I didn't remember that scene at all. Uh, this is the first time that Kirk has ever said no thank you to a woman. <laughs> it's the eyebrows, and then classic Kirk ending. Where Sue's like, you've only been gone two minutes, Captain. And he's like, whatever, let's get out of here. Like, doesn't talk about it or explain anything. Onward. Uh, so this one just was so good. It was so many things back to back to back. And I love those episodes. And did you not get, I got a total D&D group feel when they were telling you about their skills. Total D&D group feel. Absolutely. Like the hunter, the lock picker guy, like the, the bruiser. Like, it's just... The lanky armed cat weasel. They're all there. <laughs> They're all there. <laughs> oh man. Uh I didn't think the plot made a lot of sense. Like, why was T'Char keeping this whole thing there but not using it? And then 
doing this whole charade with bringing people there. Like, what was that all about? It didn't quite make a lot of sense. But once I got past that, I was like, OK, this is a lot of fun. I'm enjoying this. So I, I, if I saw this as a kid, I'd be over the moon. It'd be a lot of fun. It's definitely Super Friends and Star Trek. But yeah, it's just crazy. There's crazy running where they tilt the camera. We're like they had to show them running down, mm-hmm. like running down a hill. But they didn't. They couldn't animate it, so they just took a background frame and rotated it. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> but the issue is, is that because the frame was only so wide, when they rotated it, they had to cut a lot of the length. So that's the reason that all the times they're running, it's sideways, but it's really close. <laughs> it is really close to them. And that same music plays every time. Oh man! You can, you can really feel the budget constraints. <laughs> yes. in this episode. So that's how good they're doing with the budget constraints. I think it's great. Um, it didn't make my top three, but we'll talk about that later. But this is definitely a fun one. It was upper middle for me. Absolutely. Um, but we have some trivia for the episode. Hit it. Uh, writer David Gerald, who did tons of Star Trek writing, and he was there on the on the writing staff, asked to do a voice in this episode so he could get his Screen Actors Guild card. And they said, oh, they weren't going to do it at first. But he's like, come on, you've had other guest stars. Let me get my Screen Actors Guild card. So they paid him 75 bucks and he recorded as the little green multi-armed green guy who does a lock picking. That was his voice. <laughs> Well, that was a good voice. That was one of the best ones. I thought it was a cute voice. He says apparently he was not satisfied with his own performance and he never acted again. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Um, the bird-like mechanical sentinels, as we mentioned, they've been the past two episodes. Uh, the Infinite Vulcan. And one and, earlier. Or the one right before this one in the Eye of the Beholder yes. and earlier on the Infinite Vulcan. Yeah. Um, yeah author Stephen Candell also wrote um, the original series Mud Women and I Mud. And Mud's passion for uh, he wrote all the Mud episodes, and he wrote this one as well. He's a co-writer on this, but he's also a oh, well, that explains it. All right, and he was also a, a story editor and writer on the later Mission Impossible series or the earlier Mission Impossible series, which is kind of similar to this kind of make a team of misfits to do the impossible mission kind of thing. So it was good. And you also have seen T'Char before. He was used in yesteryear, the exact same animation, but as a different race called the Aurelians. Um, so nice. that was a while back, but yeah, they've already used him. Hot minute. <laughs> so what are our Trek connection, Muppet connections this week, Steve? Well, Shatner did a 1958 TV movie called The Christmas Tree and Carol Channing was in it. Oh, goodness. <laughs> bam, bam, bam. That's pretty direct. John Tesh, composer, uh, singer, and host, had an interview series called One-on-One with John Tesh. <laughs> and in this show, he featured interviews with lots of celebrities, including Carol Channing. And Leonard Nimoy. That's amazing. There's an album called Golden Throats 3 where they collected crazy recordings that various celebrities did in their career. Uh, this one is called Sweethearts of Rodeo Drive. Rodeo Drive. <laughs> except for it was all country music. And it featured uh, Walk the Line being sung by Leonard Nimoy and Backstreet Affair featuring Carol Channing. I had that recording of Golden him. Throats <laughs> Three, Sweethearts of Rodeo Drive. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty good connections there, man. Yeah, I did. This was an okay week. I didn't have to dig too hard. Which makes sense because they're the same episode. There's so same many episode. similarities. Both feature females with aggressive eye hair. <laughs> uh, Carol Channing and her insane eyelashes, uh, and the antler eyebrowed woman who I whose name I could not find, and I didn't bother to watch the episode. Wait, in uh, the Star Trek episode. Yeah. Oh, Lara, Lara or Lara. Yeah, that was her name. Laura. Yeah. Lara. The Huntress. Um, both episodes have a place 
that becomes unnaturally cold. You have Carol Channing's dressing room and, and also Gonzo being blown away by an autumn storm in the intro credits of the Muppets show. And then the turbulent planet having a snowstorm right after the volcanic eruption in the Star Trek episode. So there you go. Uh, nice. I've got both feature monstrous bird creatures. Oh. The dragon birds and the big feeded purple bird monsters. That's very true. Uh, both episodes have someone trapped by a force field. Uh, the pigs- ah, that was my last oh, one too, you bastard. You had you three? Bastard. Yeah, I had three <laughs> for like the first time ever. And I stole it from you. The pigs in you space in the Muppet Show episode and to char the bird guy at the end of the Star Trek episode. <laughs> but one's a real force field. The other one, Piggy just walked right through. So there you go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Transporter malfunction. What's that noise? Transporter malfunction. All right, is that part of the episode where we transport one character from one episode to the other and vice versa? So what you got for us, Steve? Mubbs to track. I'm going to bring over the purple bird thing and replace the purple bird thing. But <laughs> with the purple bird thing? Yep. Okay. Take the purple bird things. Put the purple them. bird thing. <laughs> purple bird things. All right, Muppets of Star Trek. I, I'm going to have Carol Channing come over and trade places with Laura the Hunter. Uh, she could be her weird self trying to hit on Kirk and him just being like, uh, are you sure, Kirk? No, I'm OK, really. Thanks. <laughs> just get away from me. <laughs> uh, OK, trick to Muppets. I'm going to bring over the Caterpillar guy and replace Beauregard in the backstage number playing not only the harmonica, but maybe like also a banjo and a tambourine. With all, with his, all his six arms. arms. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's funny because I use also transported the green alien guy, but. I had him trade places with Carol Channing <laughs> because he'd be the special guest of the episode, but he'd be so nervous and cowardly that Kermit would have to pull him out of the dressing room. <laughs> like, get out there on stage. I can't. I'm so tired. And sick. <laughs> Let me lay down. Yeah. Leave me here to die. Oh, I put that note on there. I'm watching the episode when he said that. I'm like, I feel you, man. He's like, I'm just too tired. <laughs> it was so funny. I'll just die in the volcano. Let me go. My legs are tired. Just let me die. It'll be warm at least. <laughs> he was hilarious. I love that little guy. I love, I love that guy. <laughs> uh, um, well, now that this, so this is the last episode of season one of the animated series. That's right. So that means we have to talk about our favorite three from this season and our worst three for this season. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start? Best or worst? Let's go with best. All right, best. Um, so I'm not gonna lie, this episode knocked out the mud episode. And so wow. that's why it makes me feel really good that the same guy wrote this episode. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But until the jihad, Mud's passions, I think it was, right, was in this spot. Uh, but for all the reasons I said, it's just like mile a minute, one thing after another, <laughs> D&D party adventure, crazy <laughs> animation and budget constraints all in one. It's like every best part of Star Trek the Animated Series was in this. That's kind of true. <laughs> uh, what's what's one of yours? Uh, I did put yesteryear, uh, which is kind of the classic cliche answer of everyone's kind of like most notable um, Star Trek animated series episode because it's the one where we see Spock's history as a child. Um, and it really adds a lot to the lore and they use it in the JJ movies and it's kind of become canon completely. And it was also guest voiced by Mark Leonard playing the same part he played in the original series, which we know happens very infrequently. They have did that with mud, but not, not too often. So yeah, it's a really good episode. Uh, my next one, I'm giving it to the time trap 
Oh, good one. We get the return of the Klingons, another Isle of Misfit, Council of Misfit Aliens. <laughs> That's right. Um, we get to see the Klingons and the Federation kind of work together. Mm. Uh, and I just, I, anytime we get to see a bunch of diverse alien races, it makes me very, very happy. Yeah, it's really flexing those animation muscles. Yeah, it's like all this stuff they just couldn't possibly do. They did one time or twice, maybe, in the original series. Yeah, very expensive. <laughs> very expensive episodes. Um, so, yes, yeah, so because of that, the time trap. Another good answer. My second, second slot. My second slot will be controversial, maybe, because the magics of Megas 2. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know it's not the best written episode. It's silly. <laughs> It's not the one where where the devil is yoked, is it? Yes, it's the yoked devil episode. (laughs) He's uh goes to the gym quite frequently. Why is he jacked? (laughs) Because I work out every day. Um, but and it's humanity on trial again, which has been been done to death. But for some reason, this episode always sticks out to me. Like this is partially the goofy yoked devil, and they go to the Salem witch trials for some reason, and it's all like gods that they you know all live in this weird planet and it's just, it's just goofy and it always sticks out in my head. So it's just one of my favorites. I don't know why. Yeah. What's your next one? <laughs> uh, so my last one, uh, another menagerie episode and that's I, the beholder, the one we just watched last, oh, okay. uh, last episode. It's had once again, just a little bit of everything, a classic opening, missing people. Um, it's like a best of album. Right. Star Trek. Dragon gets shot with a laser gun. A different <laughs> dragon does a Godzilla death roll on on the bones. <laughs> yeah. Dr. McCoy definitely should have died. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> Crazy slug villains and a space zoo. That's a great uh, uh, sci-fi plot. <laughs> it's it's just it's got everything. <laughs> and then at the end, an alien slug child takes a joyride and somehow that fixes everything. <laughs> yeah, because because, you know, it does. <laughs> Uh, so I the beholder. That's a good one. Um, my third one is also a little fun because it's called the Lorelei signal. And it's basically the one where they have to put all the women of the enterprise in charge because all the men are being turned into old people from these sirens. And I just really liked that. It was, this is probably the first Star Trek episode in, in history at the time to have the women take charge of everything they have to. And you get a lot of her parts it just felt very different. It's like almost, I think, I wonder if DC Fontana, the one female writer, actually wrote this episode because it makes sense. But I just like that it was like a big difference in that regard. They're finally giving them some screen time and some control and power. And that was, that was cool. Yeah. But there's it was really hard yeah. picking the top three because there are a lot of good ones for different reasons. Like I honorable mention, really loved the uh, the shrinking episode. They used a lot of science in that, that one. That was also in my top handful as I was yeah. Saying. And then, like the the when they go to see the the sea people and they have to navigate their race, you know, I kind of like that for an animated series episode. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of good ones in there. I'm thankful the ones you pick because there's some of my top ones as well. And I was like, oh, I want to pick that too. But yeah. So bottom three. Bottom three, baby. <laughs> Let's do it. Um. All right. My first one is more tribbles, more trouble. Ooh, gotcha. It just felt like there was no new territory being broken. It was literally the exact same setup. They set up. They had a ship filled with grain again. Right. Somehow they didn't keep track of the tribbles again. <laughs> and somehow I remember at one point they they did a teleport over and somehow teleported over four additional piles of tribbles. And I was like, how'd they mess that up? 
course you got trouble problems. You got a, a butthole at the, at the, the station. <laughs> it's not Scotty, that's for sure. That's right. That's a good one. Um, one my first one is one of our planets is missing. <laughs> first of all, terrible title. <laughs> also, terrible old premise of like some entity that's, you know, destroying things and also, things are again solved with Spock speaking telepathically with this entity, which I've done a million times. And it's kind of a forgettable episode, kind of boring, um, all in the ship. Didn't really take too much advantage of being an animated show. So, yeah, that was my first bottom three. Uh, okay, my next one is The Infinite Vulcan. Really? I kind of enjoyed that one. <laughs> it just was... So all, um, here's, I just remember the animation... Oh, really yeah. showed poorly. You had a lot of problems episode. with that one. And yeah. there was a situation where he's like handed him a tricorder and just kind of floated through the air to the other guy's hand. <laughs> the the premise of like the giant version of Spock who doesn't know himself was just so like what kid would get it? Yeah, that's true. Who was, was this lot. episode for? <laughs> who was this show for? Really? It's kind of hard to figure right. that out. Um, and so I think that's why Infinite Vulcan took my second slot. Gotcha. Um, I don't know. I didn't realize till now that two of my selections have the word planet in them. Uh, next one is Once Upon a Planet. Uh, this is where they go back to the, the same vacation planet they went to in the original series with not much else changing. Things won't go wrong. Go figure again. Um, and I think it was really just an excuse to use the animation because now they can have, you know, rabbits talking and jumping around and things and, the you know, what. Alice in Wonderland stuff. And it's just like, I, I don't remember much that happened in that episode. It's just kind of boring. And it was a retread. We didn't need just like the triples episode. It was yeah. like, it wasn't, there's was nothing new they're bringing to the table with this episode. So yeah, bottom three. All right. Well, I'm glad you said it. Oh, good. Cause I was also going to say once upon a planet. Very nice. It is the Florence Henderson of Star Trek animated series. <laughs> it's the one on both of our lists. Um, same deal. It felt wishy-washy. The rules were vague with the, like, things forming out of their minds, but not really all the time. Yeah. Or Hero should have had a bigger role, and they screwed that up. Um, it just felt like they didn't know what to do with the B-plot, and Uhura didn't get any good moments. Yeah, they didn't have anything new from the original premise, original series. It just kind of was, like, the same thing over again, but worse. I don't know. <laughs> Way worse. Uh, my last one is Beyond the Farthest Star. Um, it's the first episode of the series. I'm sad that's one of my least favorite, but it was not very exciting. It was all in the ship. wasn't taking much advantage of the being an animated show, except for the little tentacle creature. Um, and I think if this was a live action episode, it would still be boring. There's wasn't much going on. It's not rememberable. Um, a lot of my least favorite for Muppets were like this too, where it's like, they're just boring and unforgettable, but they weren't bad. They're just like, this is so forgettable. So that was my brain. Last one. Yeah. So yeah, that's our top three, bottom three. I think Steve keeps track of these things, and then we kind of. I have well, I have everything in uh, OneNote. Oh, so I just go nice. back and look at notes. It's beautiful. Well, are you gonna need me to paste mine in there? Or do you got them already? No, nah, you probably need to remember. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll have it saved. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 96 of the Muppet Trek podcast. Uh, on the next show, by the way, we're having the last episode of, of the Muppet Show. What's that going to be, Steve? Uh, that is the Muppet Show with special guest Diana Ross. Last of that season, I should say. not uh, Last of that season. Then we complete season four. Right. We wrap it up, and then we go full steam ahead into season five. That's right. And uh, also next week or next time will be the animated series episode, The Pirates of Orion. So from the lovers, the dreamers, 
and us. Live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek Podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds. <laughs>